Support for my fellow Kansans and the following message comes from the Kansas Leadership Center, offering leadership development training in Wichita, Kansas City, and online. Use promo code MFK for a registration discount. Leadership for the common good. KansasLeadershipCenter.org. We certainly have our fingers crossed that yes. anybody wins. Yes, we do. But there's no sure things in anything, so... Going into Election Day, we, we saw the numbers that people have been early voting and, and had a nice little spread of Republicans over Democrat. But I'm nervous that Western Kansas is going to, like, mess it up, so... <laughs> it became very clear to me that I had to stick this out to the end. Every vote that we get, as far as I'm concerned, is a win. Some Republicans are a little bit relieved, actually, they're losing any reaction to that. I don't know why they would be. If you look at a map of the state of Kansas, a heck of a lot more red than blue. But you look at those counties that are the populous counties, and they are very blue in terms of election results. Static! Static! I'm just so happy because I didn't think, like, I thought Kobach was going to win because this is Kansas, like, Trump country. We fought the good fight. Uh, I think we fought really well. What a night for Kansas. Oh, this is historic. This is crazy. This is amazing. All right, here we go. Uh... I'm Jim McLean, and this is My Fellow Kansans, a podcast from the Kansas News Service. Uh, Chris Kobach just went down to defeat in Kansas. Really? Did you just get a call? Yeah, we're calling it right now. The election is over. This pivotal election we thought might show us whether Kansas is still traveling on that red state path to the right or headed back toward the center. On this episode, we'll get some interpretations from people across the political spectrum who've been right in the middle of things this campaign season. The outcome did surprise some people. Rachel Maddow, for example. Wow. wow. Kansas. Okay, this is, you guys, this is a big deal. Chris Kobach you have heard of because Chris Kobach became a figure in the Trump administration without ever officially joining it. He was, he was brought to Washington to head up the voter fraud task force. Sure, I suppose it's a bit surprising. In electing Democratic State Senator Laura Kelly, Kansas joins a small handful of states to have a woman as governor for the third time. But the electing a Democrat part of it, well, Kansas hasn't elected back-to-back Republican governors since the 1960s. So switching from red to blue at the top, it's really nothing new. Kansas is just sticking to its roots. Remember in our first episode, we talked about the DNA of Kansas. And think to yourself, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Historically, a commitment to public education at the community and state levels has been one of the things that makes Kansas, Kansas. It's baked into the state's identity and its politics. Kansas was where we wanted to raise our daughters. Strong communities, great public schools. It's one of the reasons that Laura Kelly and her husband decided to move here decades ago. And it's the issue that animated her campaign for governor. So to me, Sam Brownback's massive education cuts weren't numbers on a spreadsheet. They were an attack on who we are as Kansans. That's why I'm running for Kelly, a Democrat representing a majority Republican district in the state Senate, believed that Kansas had gone off the rails, that former Republican Governor Sam Brownback's failed tax-cutting experiment and his hard-right politics had somehow broken the state. And after some soul-searching, she concluded she could fix it. 
She won the governor's race, defeating Republican Secretary of State Chris Kobach, a self-described full-throttle conservative who, like Brownback, promised to cut taxes and spending. You know, there will be a lot of talk around America about the blue wave. But I don't believe that's what's happened here in Kansas. What happened in Kansas was a wave of common sense. A wave of wave of bipartisanship. This wasn't one side beating the other. It was Democrats and Republicans and independents all coming together to put our state back on track. Kelly says it was a wave of common sense. But KU political scientist Patrick Miller says what washed over Kansas, particularly its urban centers, was fear about Chris Kobach, Kansas's version of President Donald Trump. Look at his negatives. For a Republican in Kansas to have had 45 to 55 percent negative perceptions amongst voters consistently in polls. Yeah, even coming into the race. Yeah, is pretty astounding. And, you know, one thing we saw throughout the race is he actually started off with a fair number of voters who didn't know who he was. I mean, those of us who follow politics, we, we of course know who Chris Kobach is, but a lot of Kansans had to learn about him. And as they learned about him, his negatives didn't change. You know, what, whatever happened to produce Kobach as the nominee, he was someone who could not capitalize on the Republican nature of Kansas. And, you know, I think we also need to remember that Kansas is more Republican than it is conservative. That's an interesting distinction. What does it mean? Well, about half of Kansans identify as Republicans, but over 60 percent of Kansans identify as moderate or liberal, actually, in polling, uh, if you ask them. Of course, that skews heavily towards moderate. Mm -hmm. Uh, And conservatives are still the largest of the three ideological groups. But You know, again, there are a lot of people out there who have historically voted Republican, but they're not Brownback and they're not Kobach kind of conservatives. And Laura Kelly appealed directly to those voters with endorsements from the likes of former governors Bill Graves, Mike Hayden, former U.S. Senators Nancy Kassebaum and Sheila Fromm, who all fit very neatly into that moderate wing of the Republican Party, all of whom came out very publicly and said, vote for Kelly, not Kobach. Right. Well, it's one thing for a political scientist or a reporter like me to say that made a difference in the race. It's quite another to hear it from Jim Joyce, the executive director of the Kansas Republican Party. When several GOP icons endorsed Kelly, Bill Graves and Nancy Kassebaum among them, Kobach's communication director dismissed them as tired has-beens. That, Joyce says, was tone deaf. You know, imagine just if after one of those endorsements he said, shoot, that's a bummer. Um, I hope I can count on their expertise when I'm actually governing the state. You know, every time someone's against you doesn't mean there has been or they're, you know, they don't deserve the respect or they weren't elected by the same people that you're trying to get elected by. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't believe that that was said about former senators. When I talked to him a few days after the election, Joyce said Kobach's biggest mistake was thinking he could win the governor's race by simply turning out his conservative base. It wasn't a very well-ran campaign, Um, kind of the blocking and tackling just top to bottom wasn't really done, and he didn't reach, you know, reach out to new voters, really. Well, let me just say on behalf of all of Kansas, President Trump, welcome to Trump country. 
Shearing supporters did fill the Topeka Expo Center for Trump's rally for Kobach in October. I'm so glad that America has a president who gets it and knows that illegal means illegal. But those voters chanting build the wall didn't even get Kobach 50% of the primary vote. And Joyce says clearly weren't enough to put Kobach over the top in November. I think what I'm hearing you say is that that base that really likes to hear that, you need to go beyond that base at least a little bit to win statewide elections. Is that what I Absolutely. Hear and if you're going to govern, you know, yeah. um, you absolutely cannot only cater to one base. And, and that's just an ineffective way to do it and really just an, an arrogant way to think about it. You can't refute the fact that Kansas has been moving right politically for the last 30 years. What do the results in 2016 and the results in 2018 mean relative to that really big picture question as to where Kansas is headed politically? Has it stopped that rightward trajectory and started to cycle back a little bit to the middle, or are we still on the same path? I think it, this stopped it a little bit, and, and people understand that, you know, Maybe the firebrand, you might you might like what you're hearing. It might fire you up, but it's not going to win. And if we're not winning, then what's the point? I mean, losers don't legislate. It, you know, we've got a Democrat who's in control of the state right now. We definitely have people who crossed over party lines or just crossed into our party lines. To Brooklyn Mosley, who coordinated get-out-the-vote efforts for Democrats across Kansas, the crossover voting by Republicans and the high turnout in cities, suburbs, and college towns were signs that voters were energized and ready to shake things up. What was driving that this year? We've been living with um, some of the regressive tax policy and trickle-down economics, and I think that Kansas was just taking their first step forward, saying, hey, we've already lived with this, and like we're just going to fix Kansas right now. What I hear you saying is that you think Kansas voters intentionally took a step back toward the center. They took a step back towards having a function in Kansas, so if it's called being in the center, then yes, we can say that. Just four years ago, Mosley was working on Paul Davis's campaign when he nearly unseated former Governor Brownback. Now, Democrats were very optimistic about how that race might go, but Davis lost it by 30,000 votes, less than four points. I was very naive in 2014, so I definitely like had a lot of optimism. This year, I definitely had guarded optimism. I didn't think a lot of the races would be called as early as they did. When we found out that Senator Kelly won the governor's race, I was still in like my tank top and jeans because I was in the war room all day. Um, and so I ran down the stairs and I was like, oh my gosh, this happened. So I knew that we were going to win some. I just didn't know what we were going to win. Along with winning the governor's office, Democrats held their ground in the state house and picked up a congressional seat in the Kansas City area. First-time candidate Sharice Davids defeated a four-term Republican with a lot of phone banking and an eye-popping bio. She's a first-generation college student, will be one of the first two Native American women in Congress, and the first openly gay person to represent Kansas in Washington. We have the opportunity to reset expectations about what people think when they look at Kansas. This year's results are a further indication that Kansas is in the midst of a big demographic and electoral shift. While turnout in rural parts of the state was flat compared to the last midterms, voters in urban and suburban areas were excited about the candidates at the top of the ticket, and turnout was up in those places. And that's why Laura Kelly needed only nine of Kansas's 105 counties to take the governorship. KU's Patrick Miller says Kansas isn't transitioning from red to blue, but certain parts of it, the parts where most of the people live, are trending purple. Kansas is 
to be sure, still a Republican state. And as the Republican Party has been going right nationally, it's been going right in Kansas. And we've seen our politics track that. But yet the pattern of suburbia becoming more friendly to Democrats, rural America becoming more friendly to Republicans, we see that as well. The urban-rural political divide, it's deepening. Looking at the map, geography is easy to see. It's sexy. You can paint it in red and blue, and it's easy to visually grasp. Mm -hmm. But geography also is a stand-in for a lot of the demographics that actually do divide what suburban versus rural populations look like. And some of those big divides are race, college education level, income, religiosity. Mm -hmm. um, and all of those things map onto party in some way. So really in the last 20 years, but it's become starkly evident in the last two to four years, the Democratic Party is becoming more of the party of suburbia and urban areas. And the Republican Party is becoming more of the party of rural to suburban areas. The moderate Republicans of Kansas we've talked so much about on this podcast, they're mostly in that suburban category. They remain important. Kelly, for instance, couldn't have won without those voters, but they're verging on extinction. Just as conservative Democrats have disappeared and become Republicans or, or, or taken their politics with them to the grave, Moderate liberal Republicans are also disappearing. They've disappeared in Congress. They are disappearing in public opinion polls. It's what political scientists like Miller call a realignment. Such major shifts are important, and they've happened before. What happened in the South, or what happened in New England when moderate Republicans started to disappear there, is that you had those, say, conservative Southern Democrats or liberal Northern Republicans starting to vote for the other party at the federal level, but they found themselves able to vote for people of their traditional party locally. The South started to transition at the presidential level in the 1950s, and it didn't fully realign to the uh, voting Republican down to the level of state legislatures and sheriffs and city council people until about 2010. That transition to realigning up and down the ballot, it took decades. Where will these traditionally moderate Republicans who would like a Nancy Kassenbaum, but they have a Chris Kobach or a Donald Trump, where are they going to land? I mean, we, knowing that could take 20 years. They're probably going to become friendlier to Democrats. It doesn't mean they're all going to become Democrats. But I think you can see that transition just looking at Johnson County, for example, and how hard Democratic it did go the other day. Johnson County in Metro Kansas City is the state's most populous county. It is as good a place as any to see the countervailing forces pulling at Kansas politics from both ends. In the governor's race, Laura Kelly won Johnson County by a mile. At the same time, moderate Republicans lost some legislative seats there, some to Democrats and some to more conservative Republicans. I wasn't surprised that they put somebody up against me. I knew that was coming. Joy Coaston was one of several Johnson County moderates to win a Kansas House seat in the backlash election of 2016. And when she voted to roll back Brownback's income tax cuts, Coaston believed she was doing what her constituents wanted her to do, to fund public schools and to put the state back on sound financial footing. But it landed her on the target lists for the Kansas Chamber and Americans for Prosperity, both conservative groups backed by Wichita's Koch brothers. And their effort to oust her started long before this year's Republican primary. Americans for Prosperity immediately started targeting us. So I had seven postcards against me uh, in my first year. 
and it wasn't even election year. Every single month, I had a postcard about how I had done these horrible things. Uh, And it's very hard to combat those kinds of uh, misinformation. Anti-abortion activists also targeted Coaston for her votes. I voted against two bills in my two years as a legislator that were deemed pro-life votes. One of them had to do with adoption. Oh, that, somehow, that bill. And somehow that got me in, in the crosshairs. Yeah, you're talking about the bill that was written for groups that are religiously affiliated right. and allowed them to continue to uh, provide adoptions and foster care placements, right. placements, et cetera, in a way that they didn't have to violate their uh, strongly held religious beliefs. Right. Coaston thought the bill would allow discrimination against gay and lesbian couples and non-Christians seeking to adopt or foster children. In the final hour of debate on the floor, the carrier of the bill came forward and said, we've just got word from the Kansans for Life that this is a pro-life bill, meaning if you vote against it, Kansans for Life will be after you. You will be postcarded. And it changed the vote. It absolutely changed the vote. Kelly Warren, a candidate backed by Kansans for Life and the Kansas Chamber, swamped Coaston in the August primary. Coaston accepts the defeat, but doesn't believe it signals a sudden right turn by voters in her district. I don't believe that my district is far right. I don't believe that my district will stand still if the policies that are put forward are too far from the centrist ideal of Kansas. Uh, I could be totally wrong, but I don't think so. You know, a lot of people make that argument that the legislature is more conservative than the people of Kansas. What evidence is there for that? I live with the people of Kansas. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I know my neighbors and I know my friends. And yes, we have different different ideas, different opinions. They all are still pretty down-to-earth people. They want good schools for their kids. They want good roads and bridges. They want the basics that government is supposed to provide. Uh, they're not looking for a handout. They're not looking for anything beyond you know what they can't do for themselves. But it's been so politicized for so long. And I think that Everyone is just hyper, hyper sensitive to all the persuasive messages that we get every single day on both sides of the aisle. And maybe it's a little bit Pollyanna of me. I still believe that most people are just down-to-earth people. In other words, Kansas common sense. Perhaps partisans across the spectrum could agree that's the Kansas tradition. Even so, they would have different ways of defining it. For Democrat Brooklyn Mosley, getting to that middle common sense place means toning down the red on Kansas's electoral map. One thing that I actually learned from like being able to travel across the state is that there's Democrats everywhere. And like even though those rural counties, it's very difficult for us to like get inroads. A lot of that is just being there and like having organization. Like Johnson County didn't go blue overnight. So yes, the map was very red now, but we're working on it to like get it at least a light shade of purple. But Republican Jim Joyce says, maybe making it a slightly lighter shade of red is all it would take. He continues to insist that this year's results, particularly in Johnson County, were an aberration, not evidence of a fundamental shift. You know, I think this really is just a referendum on Trump and and Brownback, and there's a lot of bad blood and a bad taste in people's mouth in Johnson County. And and once they really get a feel for what those Democrat policies are, what Sharice Davids is all about, and what Laura Kelly's all about, I think they're gonna be coming back pretty quickly. I mean, certainly it's on us to have the right message and to court them correctly and to not be as abrasive as as maybe some recent candidates were. Um, 
but it, it's, it's ours for the taking, absolutely. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, Laura Kelly, the woman elected to lead Kansas for the next four years, has her own take on what it means to govern in the Kansas tradition. Kansans sent a loud and clear message. They want their leaders to work together uh, despite political labels. And that is exactly what I plan to do. I will not waste time or taxpayer dollars on partisan fights. Uh, The rebuilding process will not be easy. We all know we have a very long, challenging road ahead of us. But if we work together, then truly the sky is the limit. So at least for now, my fellow Kansans, let's leave our conversation in that hopeful and aspirational place. If you enjoyed our journey through Kansas's political history, tune in to your favorite public radio station for in-depth coverage of politics and state government from the Kansas News Service. And keep an eye on this feed for updates about what we'll be up to next, because we've had too much fun to stop now. I'm Jim McLean. Thanks for listening. My Fellow Kansans is a production of the Kansas News Service, a collaboration of public radio stations in Kansas. The podcast is written and reported by Jim McLean, edited by Amy Jeffries, and mixed by Matthew Long Middleton. The production team includes Beth Golay, Nadia Foe, Scott Cannon, and me, Grace Lotz. Primary Color Music composed our theme. Other music you heard during this season came from Free Music Archive. Jordan Kirtley designed our logo. The Kansas News Service reporting team, along with KCUR's Frank Morris, Sam Zeff, and Ellie Moxley, stayed up late on election night to gather audio for this episode. Other news clips came from KCTV5, WIBW, and MSNBC. Special thanks to the NPR training team for getting us started. Extra special thanks to Laura Kelly, Greg Orman, Chris Kobach, and Jim Barnett and his wife slash running mate Rosie Hansen for taking time off the campaign trail to talk to us. Thanks for joining us this season of My Fellow Kansans. We'll be back soon. You can keep up with the Kansas News Service by subscribing to our weekly news email, The Insider. Subscribe at kcur.org slash insider. You can find us online at ksnewsservice.org. And like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at KS News Service.